a biotech buyout, a breakthrough cancer drug on the way, and the possible solution to America's painkiller problem, because this is where the money is. Hi, fools. Welcome to the Wednesday healthcare edition of Where the Money Is. I'm David Williamson, and I'm joined by my fellow healthcare analyst in arms, Michael Douglas. Michael, how are you doing this week? Fantastic. Doing well? Yeah. Well, we have, we have a jam-packed show, as always. Uh, we have a biotech buyout that we should be covering. Sure. Let's start with that. So Valiant and Allergan. Oh, no. <laughs> what? We for once, it. we're not going to talk I, about I, that. I prefer not to, although they are going to have a shareholder meeting, which yep. is what uh, the hedge fund uh, Pershing Square, led by Bill Ackman and, and Valiant, have been arguing that uh, Allergan needs to have one because they think the shareholders will, will side with them and they'll mm-hmm. get some board seats and, and make this deal happen. But we're not really going to cover that today because I feel like we've just been hitting that over and over again. <laughs> that, that horse is dead at the moment. It, 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 we've definitely beaten it unconscious uh, <laughs> yeah. until there's you know, some, maybe some results that are interesting out of this yeah. shareholder meeting. We'll jump back on it. But the big news of the week was Roche is going to acquire Intermune for eight point three. Billion dollars. This is a really big purchase for for Roche, which prefers generally smaller acquisitions. Uh, Intermune has been mentioned to be on the block for seemingly a couple of years. It feels like, yeah. Um, Well, and 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 so the big thing with Intermune is Esbriet, the Mm. uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis or IPF drug. Yep. What's interesting is you don't. I I don't think you always see buyouts this size for a drug that is not yet approved. However, it's a sign, of course, how, of confident, confident. how yep. confident Roche is and how confident everyone is that and the, the second like, time will be the charm. The deal may close, actually, before approval because it would be late in the year, but approval is late in the year, I believe, in, uh, yeah, in yeah. November. Uh, November 23rd is the period of the day. Yeah, so right around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and what's, what's sort of interesting, so this is an all-cash deal. Mm-hmm. It's a 38% premium, $74 a share versus mm-hmm. it was trading at about uh, $53, 80 $54. Something like that. Um, peak sales of the drug... Yeah, about what one one point three one point five billion did Roche overpay in your opinion? Uh, you know, I've got to say it does look a little steep because when you think about the fact that uh, Intermune doesn't really have much of a pipeline outside of Esbriet, I mean they've got a couple of preclinical assets, yep. and they've got a few you know different ways of, of uh, handling Esbriet and dosing and things like that. But but really, it's it's pretty much the Esbriet show. Um, and when you look at peak sales in the kind of one three one five ish range, um, that works out to what five six times peak sales. That seems a little expensive. It does seem a little steep to me. I wasn't a tremendous fan of Intermune going in. Yeah. Uh, I guess I was proven wrong. Yep. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll admit when, uh, when I'm wrong, but I do think it's a little steep. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ha- certainly happy for Intermune shareholders. Yeah. Uh, I do think the drug fits in with what Roche is doing. I don't, totally. I don't think it's a bad fit schematically. I just wonder if they paid too much for it. But uh, I guess, you know, it's happy ending for, uh, for everyone who owns shares of Intermune. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our next story, uh, which is going to the big pharmas. And Reuters had an exclusive article that uh, a U.S. approval of Merck's cancer immunotherapy PD-1 drug is expected soon. Now, the PDUFA date, the approval date, is in October, but Reuters is saying, no, it's going to be before October that uh, Pembrolizumab is going to get the FDA thumbs up for, I believe, melanoma. Yeah. Well, and the FDA seems to have been kind of jumping the gun on their PDUFA dates mm-hmm. kind of a lot recently, you know, and it seems like, you know, a week, two weeks, even a month or two beforehand, that's been happening a lot. Um, yeah, so, so Pembrolizumab, uh, formerly Labrolizumab, formerly yeah. uh, um, MK3475. Um, what's really interesting about the drug and about kind of what's happening in the immuno- immuno-oncology space, you know, obviously this is a space that 
could potentially be huge. Uh, you know, the peak sales estimates we're seeing for the, sort of the total space are in the multiple tens of billions. Yeah, I think I saw $30 billion yeah. dollars, uh, as an estimate for the class. But, yeah. but this class is a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. It is a change in how we treat cancer. Yeah. It gets your body's immune system to attack the cancer. And we've seen between um, Merck's drug and Bristol-Myers Squibb's drug mm-hmm. that uh, it's, they've really been largely effective in, in all types of solid tumors. And, and, and Bristol's going for approval for Optivo, mm-hmm. uh, which is their drug. It's approved overseas right. already. Uh, and they're going for non-small cell lung cancer as their first indication. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about the these drugs is that they're also, they're not just looking at them as monotherapies, they're also really very aggressively trying to test them kind of with other therapies. So, you yeah. know, uh, Pembrolizumab, Merck's, um, you know, with Zalcori from uh, Pfizer, from, from Pfizer uh, yep. for non-small cell lung cancer, they're, they're, they've committed to a trial there. Um, Bristol-Myers and Celgene, uh, of which I'm a shareholder, yeah, you Celgene, <laughs> uh, uh, agreed, uh, I think maybe on the 20th, right around then, mm-hmm. to test Updevo uh, and Celgene's Abraxane. Uh, in breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, non-small cell lung cancer. Now, who's winning these deals? We really don't know right now because pretty much nobody is disclosing the financials of them. Uh, But these are exciting opportunities for these drugs that have shown themselves to be pretty effective in a lot of different areas to differentiate themselves and kind of boost that effectiveness up to the next level. Merck uh, also signed a uh, a deal with a... a biotech that's a little too small that I don't feel comfortable mentioning on the show, but sure. I, I suppose people can look it up after they listen. But it was for uh, prostate cancer, which uh-huh. I thought was really interesting because we actually haven't seen these PD-1 drugs move into that space right. uh, so much yet. So the, the results of that are going to be worth watching. I do wonder if it's how aggressive Merck and Bristol, I mean, it obviously takes two to tango, Merck and Bristol are finding partners, or if these other companies are just trying to Latch on. Latch on, yeah. Get on the bandwagon because we've seen what these drugs have done to the share prices of these big pharmas. Totally. Um, just because of the, I mean, these are these are going to be some of the top selling, basically top five selling drugs in peak sales uh, just because of the amount of different tumor types they can treat mm-hmm. and the duration of their responses. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting area and it's one that we're going to want to watch really closely. Yeah, I think everyone's going to watch. I mean, from a public health standpoint. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting when people talk about the, the cost of treatment. We don't know mm-hmm. what these are going to cost yet, but they're going to be ubiquitous. What's also interesting, Merck's going for approval in melanoma. Uh, Bristol's going for approval in small cell, non-small cell lung cancer first. Doctors don't live in bubbles. They know that these drugs work across different tumor types. Absolutely. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know, we talked about hepatitis C sort of uh, off-label sales, and we're, we're about to talk about hepatitis C. Again. <laughs> it is. But, but it's, uh, yes, we are. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see if it sort of follows suit and, yeah. and, and sales are a lot bigger than analysts are expecting early on. Because they've gone ahead and sort of done those those other tumor types yeah, the where date- maybe they don't have... Um, yeah. They don't have the kind of drugs that the they The data want. are out yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's there for anyone to take a look at. For sure. All right, well, let's move on to hepatitis C, yep. as we teased. And Bristol-Myers Squibb uh, got European uh, approval for uh, Declinza, which is Declatosphere. And uh, this is for, obviously, for hepatitis C. And they, they were touting in the press release, which I loved, yeah. that used in conjunction with uh, Gilead Savaldi, you're seeing cure rates up to 100%. Yeah. Well, and, and hey, fantastic that they're seeing 100% cure rates. Yep. But yeah, kind of, kind of funny that they're sort of jumping on that Savaldi bandwagon. Bristol tried so hard, yeah. so hard to get Gilead to partner up. Uh, Savaldi with this drug when yeah. when uh, Savaldi I think was you know just starting in phase three Bristol really wanted to be the combo partner on that totally. they partner up with HIV drugs 
but but Gilead flatly refused, and yeah. Bristol kept trying. It was getting awkward to the point <laughs> where uh, you're just like Bristol, you're, you're going to have to knock this off. It's, it's not, not going to work, yeah, because Gilead has lead iposphere, which mm-hmm. will essentially does the same thing. Yeah, um, and, and and so it, it's definitely going to be very uh, very interesting. You know, it cleanses the uh, first NS5A mm-hmm. uh, inhibitor uh, on the market in the EU. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a lot to a lot to like about the potential combo, especially in the EU. Um, now, FDA approval, if it comes, will be further down the line um, and probably after uh, Savaldi and Lidiposphere. Um, we will definitely have to watch uh, and see kind of how this works out for them in the EU and kind of what that pricing conversation looks like now that we're seeing so much blowback on Savaldi. You know, well, what about Savaldi plus Declenza? You know, wh- what yeah. does that look like? Well, and, you know, and then Savaldi plus Opdivo, you know, I think, yeah. I think this is probably in some ways more of a... Oh, not Opdivo. Uh, um, um, you mean... Uh, um, Johnson Johnson Johnson. 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 Um, can't think of the name. Well, this is great. That's, <laughs> great that's what happens. That's what happens. Uh, that is what happens. But um, it is it is going to be interesting to see what ha- Alicio. Alicio. There we go. It's another O drug. That's yeah. what happens. That's you know all these drug names. They all start blending together <laughs> in your head. <laughs> it's how it goes. But you know it's going to be I think interesting to see what happens with Johnson Johnson because they're refusing to even give guidance mm-hmm. on Alicio sales. They're being they're saying well this is I mean it's a blockbuster for them but yeah. they don't expect it to be. It's sort of uh, like fountain money when you put on a winter coat and there's twenty dollars in the pocket and you're just really excited about it. But you're not going to predict that it's going to happen <laughs> the next every time, time you put, put on the, the yeah, coat. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but you, you noticed you were doing some research on the Bloomberg terminal, yeah. and you, you noticed some some interesting trends coming in uh, Savaldi scripts. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Bloomberg Intelligence, for the data. Um, so what, what I was looking at uh, total and new scripts for Savaldi. Uh, so total retail scripts, you know, includes uh, people who are continuing on the drug, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And um, there's been a, a downward trend uh, week to week. So last Friday compared to the Friday before, down about 3% for total scripts. Um, and that trend has been in place for a little while now. So the question is, you know, are we seeing warehousing um, in uh, expectation of the Lediposphere? You know, is it, is it the doctors are having trouble with the mountain of paperwork that payers are, are shoveling in front of them if they're going to try to off-label with Elysio? You know, what's going on? Or was, was the original surge yeah. warehousing, and now we're actually getting to a more sustainable rate of, of scripts. Totally. It, it's definitely something that Gilead investors need to be watching because the, the concern with, with these treatments and, you know, Merck with their aggressive acquisition tried to dispel it. Right. The concern was, since it's a cure, mm-hmm. you're going to have an ever-shrinking patient population. Right. And, and you know, what does the decline rate of your drug look like. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there could be some warehousing, but at the same time, you can get an interferon-free regimen with genotype 1 uh, with Alicia, Alicia right. Johnson, Johnson's drug again. Um, but, you know, it's still going to be an easier dosing regimen when lead iposphere and, Sof- and Savaldi are combined into one pill. Yeah. Uh, so there could be some additional warehousing. It's really going to be interesting to watch because nothing drives Gilead mm-hmm. like Savaldi. Totally. Uh, so, you know, these trends, I know they're not really publicly available, so we'll be keeping you updated on, on what's happening as that, that goes forward. Yeah, and so it's, it, it's going to be a really interesting... I mean, they're publicly available, but they're not easy to get to. Right, exactly. That's <laughs> so, the better way of saying it. Very fair. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a really interesting to kind of watch how that trend goes because, you know, you had Gilead really just annihilate Analyst expectations two quarters in a row. Well, what do the next two quarters look like? You know, are we yep. gonna are we gonna see a gradual down and then a big up with lead iposphere well, or or what? Well, and that's the problem. They annihilated expectations this past quarter. Yeah, and the stock didn't really move. Yeah, you know? uh, which you know was one of the reasons I finally became a Gilead investor. But that's really neither here nor there. <laughs> um, there, we're talking all about my portfolio today. Apparently, <laughs> you're just talking your book. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know if you can be talking your book for this next and final. No, segment. no, definitely not. But uh, it, it is sort of interesting. It's more on the, the public health policy side of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a report out of uh, JMAA mm-hmm. or JAMA. JAMA, yeah. JAMA, yep. And uh, CNN was reporting on it. They said mar- medical marijuana laws may reduce painkiller overdoses. And as you know, uh, this country has a, a huge problem with painkiller addiction. Absolutely. And what's really interesting is they saw a 25% lower rate of prescription painkiller overdoses, mm-hmm. which was about 1,700 less deaths mm-hmm. in the states that had essentially legalized marijuana. Medical marijuana. Medical marijuana. Yeah, and, and, and so they called out specifically, now this study ran with data through 2010, uh, and so there were 13 states as of 2010 who mm-hmm. had, who had uh, legalized medical marijuana in some way, shape, or form. Um, and what was interesting was sort of two points. The first is that they noticed, now this was statistically significant for each year, but they mm-hmm. found that the, the gain, the benefit in sort of reducing opioid uh, overdose deaths increased each year. So, you know, year one, it was, you know, X percent, and then year two, it was bigger. And then year three, year four, year five, year six. Um, And so, to some extent, that may understate the benefit, um, sort of as more and more states join in. As of now, uh, I think the last number I saw was 23 states have legalized medical marijuana, again, in some way, shape, or form. Of course, the, the, the crucial issue is, okay, so there's a correlation here. But correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. Um, And the study's authors were quite clear about the fact that they did not have a clear causal link. However, um, senior uh, author Colleen uh, Colleen Berry, the senior author on the study, said, um, you know, and I quote, we can speculate that people are completely switching or perhaps supplementing, which allows them to lower the dosage of their prescription opioid. So, you know, there's a strong correlative link here. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what the causes are yet, but it seems that there's probably some gold to be found here, and yep. we are definitely going to be digging. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because you're seeing the states that have legalized either medical or all-out legalization mm-hmm. are, are getting a boon in taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're potentially having better public health outcomes. If that puts pressure on additional states to follow suit yeah. uh, and what happens. Now, in terms of investing, obviously there aren't really any marijuana stocks that we recommend investing in. Yeah. Uh, they're really just a bunch of penny stocks. These are companies that are just sort of figuring out the basic blocking and tackling of running a business. Right. Uh, you see a lot of SEC violations. Some of it, some of it just for not getting paperwork in. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's the Wild West out there in terms of marijuana stocks, uh, unless you're looking at marijuana-based pharmaceutical companies, which may be uh, a way to, to look at this if, if those drugs uh, can be used for painkiller application potentially. Uh, but I think my one takeaway is there are a lot of stocks that make sort of painkillers and mm-hmm. abuse to turn painkillers. And you take a look at the total amount of Americans on painkillers, and you say, "Well, this is a, you know a huge population." You know, I think I saw numbers around 100 million. It's gigantic. It's gigantic. But the problem is these drugs don't have a whole lot of pricing power, yeah. and there's a lot of them, and there haven't been a lot of great success stories in terms of investments lately mm-hmm. in in, in painkilling focused drug stocks. So I think investing wise, I wouldn't take this as as the death of painkiller stocks, right. but I wouldn't be excited about painkiller stocks either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's an interesting data point. You know, from a public policy perspective, this could be huge. We definitely need to investigate that causal link and, and see if we can establish it or figure out what it is. Um, I think over the, over the long term, the impact on the stock market and on individual stocks is going to be really hard to tell. But this is one of those things, um, 
you know, there are a lot of big trends in healthcare that we want to keep an eye on, even if we're not sure who's going to really sort of win or lose based on it, mm-hmm. um, because these could fundamentally transform things. Again, you know, things like ACOs. Yes, I have to talk about ACOs. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's, get it in there? It's not aware the money is if I don't talk about ACOs. Um, I'm going to get an ACO jar every time you mention it. You got to put a dollar. In. <laughs> not a dollar. Can you do more like a quarter? Um, but like you know, ACOs and, and, and things like that. You know, who really is going to be the big winner? Hard to say. But it's a big thing that we need to keep an eye on because uh, potential winners and losers long term will become clearer. Yep, and we'll be watching that. And thank you for watching us. This is the Wednesday Healthcare Edition of Where the Money Is. For Michael Douglas, I'm David Williamson. Stay tuned tomorrow for the Energy Edition, and we'll see you back here next week. Fulan.